Welcome to the One of a Kind podcast, the show where we explore the stories we tell ourselves and the moments that got us here. I'm Nisi Duran, and I hope today's conversation gives you something to smile about. Welcome to the 10th episode of the One of a Kind podcast. When I started this journey, I promised myself I would do at least 10 episodes, and I am thankful to everyone who has been a part of it. It has been more work than I could have imagined, but also even more rewarding than I had hoped. In honor of this milestone, we have a very special guest, my brother from another mother, Stephen Salinas. I met Stephen at YouTube and we became fast friends. If you listen to my very first episode, you will recall that Stephen was the person who I was talking to when I learned I was laid off from Google. He is a wonderful friend to have in your corner, and we have been cheering each other on for almost a decade. I can't wait for all of you to hear his story. Stephen is a first-generation Mexican-American who was born and raised in Los Angeles. He started his career at the education nonprofit City Year. After spending five years building City Year in Los Angeles, he attended business school at Yale, where he met his wife, Rachel. He has been at YouTube for over nine years, working in almost every part of the business organization, including partnerships, operations, business operations, and now runs strategy for support. One of our proudest joint accomplishments during our time at YouTube together was starting the Latinx Employee Research Group, which has now become a really strong community for people like us. Aside from work, he loves staying active and coaching people looking to unlock their potential. Most importantly, he's a devoted husband to Rachel and father to Joaquin and Gisela. In this conversation, we discuss the cost of evolving into the person you want to become and reframing what it means to be ambitious. A warning that this episode contains discussion of suicide. If you are based in the U.S. and you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or mental health matters, please call or text 988 to reach the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline to connect with a trained counselor. For resources outside the U.S., you can visit befrienders.org. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And so for my family, when I was born, my mom had me pretty young herself. Um, she likes to say we grew up together. Yeah. Um, uh, which is both, you know, <laughs> true and very <laughs> difficult for her only, her only child. Uh, so she's quite close to me. I became my family sort of like I was the path out. I was mm-hmm. the the child that was going to do more. I was the child that was going to assimilate as an example of that. You know, I only spoke Spanish growing up. I did not speak very much English. I didn't know that. And mm-hmm. uh-huh. and then, you know, I was supposed to go to the school, this Catholic school, like in first grade. And I just didn't speak enough um, English. And so mm-hmm. they were concerned about that. And so my mom put me in some like summer school English tutoring. Um, and I was able to get there. But the, the bigger part of that story is everyone stopped speaking Spanish to me. <gasps> oh, wow. yeah. Like my mom stopped speaking. My mom, every now and then, she still says things in Spanish to me, to be clear. But like the primary language in my household went Switched. to English. Um, and so my mom, my dad only spoke to me in English. Um, and every now and again, Spanish. And then my grandmother also would speak broken English to me as opposed to speaking my Spanish, which I think is like what I have learned 
have I met other people like you or other other people um, who are Mexican immigrants or Latino immigrants, or whatever else? That is such a rarity. Like so many of them, like I tried to speak Spanish to my grandmother over time, and she would still respond to me in broken English sometimes. Wow, and, they're committed to the um, cause. Commi- like, and so I share that st- part of that story because it's like it's so. I mean, indicative of the path they chose. They were committed to building a life here in the states. Active choices along the way. Very active choices to do that, right? And so you know. That's sort of their mode of operating. And, and, and so the kind of a crucible story for me is my, um, my mom, my middle two uncles, um, they took their own lives when I was in third grade and fifth grade, respectively. Um, and they're for different reasons and whatever else. But, you know, some of them were related to, um, you know, addiction and um depression and um you know different life choices and so this was like this is a very painful story for me um but it is the um it informs so much of who i am today in that i have a tendency and a desire to really understand people what they're motivated by and what they need. Mm -hmm. And part of that is, is so hard for me to see people not um, blossom into the people they want to be. Um, Because I feel like, you know, my uncles never had a chance to do that. And so much of the choices that I make for myself, the mission that I have in life and what I want for others, you know, is, is in their memory and wanting to give people the opportunity to do that um, and be on a path to that. And so as I've evolved, I got to college yeah. and I graduated from college. And I said, I, when I graduated from college, I was like, oh, I'm going to do a year of service. They're like, what is that? <laughs> what the is family said, what service? is that? <laughs> what is that? What, is, what do Go you mean? Go make some money, Steven. <laughs> go make money. Like, what are you talking about? You're the guy. You got to go you know, yeah. be the CEO or something or do, you know, you know, like I'd also done well. They also knew it wasn't like they're like, you, you had know, opportunities. Like, and, you know, to be honest, some of it was like, I didn't have a ton of guidance. So I was kind of making up everything as I went. Um, and I was really guided by my heart. I kind of still am. And so I was yeah. like, well, I want to, I felt like that milestone meant that I needed to, to do something. And I felt compelled to go help kids. So I went and did a year of service. Um, it was a year of service with an educational nonprofit called City Year. And it was starting in Los Angeles. And I wanted to work in LA. Like the whole thing was like some of my friends were going to like Honduras and other places, which is awesome and Peace Corps or whatever. Um, and for me, it was like LA, LA kids. People like my me. uncles. People like oh, me. And, my uncles. And I, and I oh. worked in Pico Union which is a district right outside of downtown LA. And that is the same area that my family first was when they came to this country. And I worked in the same school. So then I had a wonderful experience and one year turned into five years and I moved to different roles there. And um, all the schools I worked in, a couple of them were um, schools that my uncles had gone to. 
And, um, and it was particularly important. I mean, I, I, I had so much purpose and energy, I think as it relates to my family, I, I mean, that was not a compelling story to them. Really? They were not supportive. It was not a choice that made sense to them because, you know, I was not making a lot of money. Um, the fear is for them, I can, I've always made choices that have been hard for them to understand. Yeah. And, and all of the choices make them feel that I am different than them or have different values than them. Mm-hmm. There's a pain there. There's a grief. There's a, <sighs> um, it almost feels like a rejection. It almost feels like they rejection. think you're rejecting them. Yeah. yeah. No, a betrayal. I think we even betrayal. use the word betrayal, a betrayal. Yeah. And that has only gotten worse over time. I, you know, I left to the East Coast to go to business school. You know, I met someone, my wife, Rachel. Yeah, who's amazing. And my life <laughs> continued on. Yeah. And, you know, I don't live in LA, live in the Bay Area. And again, good things have happened to me on the way. I've been worked at Google and been working here for almost a decade and have had a pretty good career here. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's like, wow, you know, American dream or whatever, like I've, mm-hmm. whatever. Right. And all I want is unconditional pride. Yeah. And, you know, that's not necessarily what I'm getting and that's okay. Cause I understand it, but you know, evolving has come with a cost. If you want to shed those parts of yourself to become the part of yourself that you know you want to become, there's grief there. There's loss. Connecting back to my uncles or anything else, like it's been really important for me as like an individual. One of the ways I've sort of managed my the trauma in my own life and is 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 a productive desire uh, to become the best version of myself. How do I say this? You went to college and then right after college, what we graduate when we're 22, right? You're still relatively young and you made this very active choice. That was a choice that was right for you. That wasn't being supported by the people that had guided you right up to that point. And I know that when we're growing up, there's a natural sense of rebellion, but yours was so large and it was the right choice for you. Right. So I don't mean to Label it rebellion. It was. I don't mean to label it rebellion in a negative way. It's just, I'm sure that's how they saw it. And I just wanted to know, I know that your uncles influenced you, right? That that loss and that pain helped guide you. But how did you get the strength to keep making choices for yourself when you weren't getting that unconditional pride along the way? Like, how did you Mm. do that? I feel like that's so Mm. hard. I think I was able to sort of take my anger and frustration and um, the other thing I'll share that's related to this, because I use the word anger and frustration, I just realized that doesn't really connect to it. I, my parents also divorced when I was in uh, high school. Oh, that's right. Like when mm-hmm. I was 13. And that was a particularly tumultuous time. I left my house and um, it was a difficult high school experience, at least initially. And, and so I think, I think I, by the time I was like 15, I mean, I had a lot of pain and rage Mm. and I, 
also had suicidal manifestations and attempts and other things early mm -hmm. in my high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, but there was a moment in time I'd actually gotten really involved in the church. And um, I, what was so positive about that, I became very religious. I like was quoting things from the Bible to my oh. family and shit. And shit. And like, <laughs> You're laughing. But what was what was important about it is that as I I found community, I became like a leader in that space, and I think I had enough. Like, I kind of saw that I can create my own life, and and it was a way for me to control the chaos out. You know, where I can't control it, it was like I can control this. And, and so I started inserting some boundaries for myself pretty early in my life where I was, I don't think it was always healthy because like part of the cost was some level of disattachment from my family and the tribe that raised me and, and, uh, and some asserting of a boundary between me and them. And so it led me to be very motivated, right? Like I was very motivated. I like, I remember like was slightly overweight when I was like 17 or whatever, I was going to college or whatever. Yeah. And I decided I'm going to lose weight. And I lost like 50 pounds in three months. Wow. You know? And so like my friends now know me as someone who is, you know, my friends from high school who have stayed my friends now. The, the meme they have of me is someone who is, when, when I decide to do something, mm -hmm. I'm almost like, it's like, one of the more painful things when my friends shared is like, it was, it was both a virtue and something they so deeply respected about me, but something they were so fearful of as, as their friend, because he oh. was like, if you commit yourself to something and I'm not part of that for whatever oh. reason, you will shed us. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, that's a really hard thing to hear because I don't want to shed them. Yeah. Right. But like, they know that I'm so capable of like- Laser focus. Laser focus. And I will become this new person. And either you come with me or you don't. <laughs> yeah. We're going to Mars now. And so it, it has not been without cost yeah. for me to create some of that space so I can evolve into the person I want to be. When you were describing your family's approach to assimilation and to wanting you to learn English, they kind of had the same laser focus, right? Of, oh, yeah. 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 That's a learned behavior. That's yeah. a learned behavior. Yeah, yeah. 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 The other thing I'll say too is, and I almost didn't say it because I don't know if you're going to make fun of me for saying it, but I'm going to say it. I'm really proud of you. I think your wife mm -hmm. is really proud of you. I think your friends all love you and are really proud of you. And I'm also a little mad <laughs> that because I know, um, I know personally, like how amazing you are as like a friend, as a spouse, as a, as a parent. And it kind of makes me mad that, um, there's people in your life who I think they see it, but maybe they just through, because of their own pain, they don't allow themselves to express that they see it. And they, hopefully they don't realize how painful that is for you. Right. Um, so, but I hope, you know, that the people that knew, you know, you very deeply are very, very proud of you, myself included. I appreciate, I, you know, I, pre I'm not going to make fun of you <laughs> okay. because I, because I can read the room. unlike you on these situations. <laughs> no, um, I, I do deeply appreciate that. And one of my, 
you know, other skills over time has been um, keeping those who I've made friends with or mm-hmm. build community with closer to me. You know, I think yeah. um, I'm an only child also. Mm-hmm. So I've, I, one of the things Rachel, my wife comments about is, is, you know, she, just my capacity to have such strong connections with people and how you bring them along. And so like, even though there's this fear from them, it's like, oh my God, you could sort of turn on a dime on you, but like, <laughs> um, I'm not going to do that because those people are my tribe and I I've had to find some tribe. Like, you know, I, I can't, you know, we all want to belong. Um, and so that's how I've filled the, filled the void over time too, is also like making relationships that are friendships that, you know, feel like more than just a friendship feel like family. You're very good at that. Well, and you're very selective and that's how you picked me. (laughs) (laughs) Only only those who are one of a kind. You're right. Yes. That's it. That's it. That was good. That was really good. I also forced you to start the Latino organization at YouTube. (laughs) You did. You did. I did not want to do that. I did not want to do that, which we can unpack, but I don't need to. You were approached about it first. You said no. So someone approached me about it. And then, and then they you said, went and grabbed me back. They're like, oh, no. I asked Steven. And he said, no. I was like, I got this. I got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very proud that we did that, by the way, me now. Too. So I'm glad you dragged me into it. Um, you were great. I'm so proud of it, too. Now it's a big thing, you know? It's a big thing. It's a big thing. And it's great. And people love it. And they're like, so into it and they find community in that and and just to be clear it was the latinx employee resource group resource group is what it's called yeah at youtube which is is now called familia it's called familia at yeah which is great i mean it was called familia when we did it wasn't it Uh, it was was initially launched as latinos and then we changed it to familia familia yes yes because of the the x and the whatever yes and familia Familia sounds better too you know familia is much better (laughs) Going back to something you were saying at the very beginning um, that came up for me again, Jose, my middle brother, experienced a lot of racism. Mm. You know, he did buzz his head. He would wear button-up shirts that were short sleeve. He mm-hmm. he would button all the buttons, not just the top one. You know? <laughs> He'd button them all. He wore dickies and he wears chucks. And that's still how he dresses to this day. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a vibe. It's a vibe. It's also like a SoCal vibe, right? Of Yeah, totally. The look and... My parents, I do remember maybe early on would say things to him along the lines of, you kind of look a little bit like a cholo, right? Like, is that really what you want to do? But he just liked the look and he was never in a gang. He, that was never his actual mm-hmm. vibe, right? And he stood very firmly that he was comfortable wearing that. He liked the way he looked and he wasn't going to let you know society make him change. Good for him. But talking about a cost, right? It came at a cost. He had so many run-ins with police officers growing up. Like they would pull him Mm. over. Um, He had uh, at the time a girlfriend who lived in a predominantly white neighborhood and he'd go Mm. pick her up. And literally, I think every time he drove to get her, he'd get pulled over. Mm. And so he had a lot of anger for a long time Mm. and he's worked through a ton of that and he still dresses the way that he dresses, right? But, and when people meet him, he's so friendly, so <laughs> easygoing. Um, he is. But he is. I could not do that, right? I think 
you know, the flip side for me is a lot of people in my family dress very sexy and very provocative and wear a lot of makeup. And that's a look, that's a vibe with like Latinas as well. And I rejected it very firmly because I was trying to quote unquote be something else. Right. And now I regret that a little bit, right. Of, you know, what, what, what were you trying to be? Did you have a, did you have an active thought of what you were trying to be, or was it more, you didn't want to be that? I think it's the latter more. I just didn't want to be that, but I also had different childhood experiences like you, where people thought I was the golden child. I was going to make it out. And if you dress sexy, that's going to lead to having sex and sex is going to lead to getting pregnant and getting pregnant is going to lead to you not making it out. Right. And so it's like, okay, just eliminate the very first step. Don't, don't be sexy. Like, don't do that. Right. Mm. Um, And now as I'm getting older, when I see people that are dressed sexy, I'm like, oh, you're amazing. I wish I was brave enough. To do that, right? And so I think what I was going to ask you was, do, I was going to say, you know, do you have any regrets of not being a pelon because you wanted to do that, or no, because mm. it feels like at this point you kind of are living your truth every day, or at least you're striving towards it? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure I'm totally living my, I, you know, when we think about work and professional settings or whatever else, like over time, I've been at YouTube for almost like a decade. Mm-hmm. So I think I've been able to find my path to being my full self, which includes my background and cultural self, which means anything that maybe I was masking away to assimilate, you know, or whatever. I feel like I've shown them. I feel like I'm integrating that more and more into my life. I feel like I've become more, I feel more assured and safe to do that. My mom does joke and say like, Oh, it's so cool to be Latino now. It's like, cool. <laughs> um, you know, oh, oh, not for like you, resentful. for society. Yeah. It's cool now. It's like bad bunny. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 It's like, it's like the thing. Um, so that's, so maybe, you know, those shifts have not been unhelpful. I think I, um, but I think, I think, I, I think, I think I've been more willing to show myself in those regards. Like I talk about mariachi with people and things yeah. like that, and they don't know what that is, or just like trying to, um, there's not even trying, like just not guarding those other parts of myself, um, and being very mm-hmm. like open about those stories and who I am and whatever else maybe it's going to be more acceptable and safer for me to, you know, you know, uh, express myself and not be worried about, you know, what I might look like to other people and, um, and not be concerned about that, but it's hard, you know, some symptoms I'm the only, you know, person of color in a room. And one of my friends first introduced me to the concept, you know, he's a black man and he, sort of first introduced me to the concept of like, because he was always one of the few black men in the spaces we were in, whatever it was in college and whatever. He really was only, only black dude always. And he was like, you know, I can't ever just be myself. I'm always representing the group. And correct. I think about that too. You know, like I'm still representing the group. I feel like I'm still representing the group by my, you know, professional settings and, whatever else. There's not so many of us where 
you know, you get to see the variety, right? I heard you in your last, I mean, I've gotten all the comments you've gotten, like, I didn't know you were Latino or I didn't know all the microaggressions and things like that. Like I've had all of that stuff. And, you know, then, then you're an example and you're that person and that's good. Maybe I disrupted some of those things, but you know, like, um, you feel the responsibility of, of that. And so that part is probably still lingering over me in a way that, I probably haven't fully shed either that responsibility or haven't really reframed it yet. I don't know. Um, It's a good, I haven't really thought about it a lot recently because I don't know, but I I do think it's like worth interrogating a bit. Um, Because who am I doing that for? Maybe it's holding us back also Mm. Um, by not. Everyone else gets to be who they want to be. Yeah. Um, so do you know why, who you want to be? Do I know who I want to be? I do think I know who I want to be. I th- thought about this a lot. I got this from this coach. This notion of uh, rethinking ambition, which I think is particularly apropos to your current situation. Uh, discussion with Brian. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. so much of life, especially early on, has all these different milestones that you can kind of like, Oh, I did that thing. I did that thing. I did that thing. I did that thing. And, you know, especially in the corporate setting, then there's the rat race and the keeping up with things and the like assumption that I'm supposed to keep lifestyle going and whatever. And then you're locked in. You guys were talking about the concept of being locked in. Now I have a set of friends and now I have a set of responsibility and I'd like to shed that would be really hard. You know, shedding is painful what I've been working on is just reframing. It's because I am an ambitious person, mm-hmm. right? And, but like, how do you make that definition such that it is not it just in a container of professional success? Um, oh, or, because yes. it's generally what it's tied to, professional success, 100%. financial sort of, it's generally, especially in the US, that's particularly what ambition is. And how do I sort of reframe my ambition to be the full totality of my who I am? You know, one of my biggest ambitions in life is to be a more patient father. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just even saying it, I almost want to tear up. I just, I re- oh. it's, it, is, it is a, I say it without self-criticism also. And judgment of myself, but it's something I really want. Yeah. I really want to be a more patient father. And I like that as a North Star for me. Um, Why that word? You could have picked any word, you know, uh, more fun, more loving, more supportive, more whatever, but you picked Well, because I think I'm all those things already, you know? <laughs> this is the last thing to reach nirvana. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Other other words, a perfect parrot. I'm not a patient person. And so that, it's really? what it is. I'm not I'm not, I'm not a particularly oh. like patient. I'm I, I run pretty hot and fast paced and want things done and whatever. And and I think um remind me to tell you a story. Patience allows you to listen, mm-hmm. to learn. Yeah. To really understand yeah. what they're saying to you what they need, right? If I'm patient enough to really 
hear what Joaquin is telling me. Joaquin, your son. My, yeah. And really like sit, sit in what he is trying to share with me as an example. Then I might learn something about him, about what he needs from me. Um, and I, and I don't want to rush through things with them. Yeah. So yes. much of what I do day to day is rushing through things. Right. I think that's great. And I was just reflecting on a experience I had this morning where I wasn't patient and I checked myself like Leo is crying about wanting me to change him, even though we've been really working on him to change himself. Right. And have that, um, what's the word? agency to pick his clothes, decide, you know, what he wants to wear that day and come down and feel like he's accomplished something. But he was just not wanting to get there. And I was having to do the breakfast and the lunch boxes and the snack boxes and getting it all ready. And I had a little bit of time. And I checked myself because he started crying hysterically. He wouldn't let David help him. So I go to him, I take him upstairs and I, I snuggled with him in the bed. I was like, let's get in bed. And I hugged him. And he starts crying. I was like, what's wrong? And it turns out, you know, David had put them to sleep. He fell asleep with them last night and he had gotten up early to go walk our dog, Lucy. And so when Leo woke up, daddy was not with him and Mm. he felt, so he wasn't, when he was, you know, asking me to go change him, he wasn't not wanting to do what he's supposed to do. He was feeling sad and hurt that his daddy had like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but, and then I, and then I felt guilty, right? I was like, oh, if I had been more patient, if I'd been more curious, Uh, but to your point, we're rushing. Right. So I totally hear that. And I think that's a really good aspiration. <laughs> like that's a really good word. Cause I think if you're patient, then you do communicate more love and then you do communicate more, whatever, you know, I think it's a really totally. important foundation that is really hard. Something else that's been particularly important as a parent is the notion of like self-compassion. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking a lot about is like, you know, you want these things. You actually notice when you're doing the thing you don't want to do, the wrong thing. Correct. But you keep doing it. And mm-hmm. I don't understand how that keeps happening necessarily other than just, you know. But part of it is also like, what I realize is like, you know, how do people get in these like self-sabotage? You're like, I don't want to be this kind of parent. And I was this kind of way. I was raised this way. But how do you repeat? Why do people keep repeating those things, right? <laughs> um, and some of it is because it's hardwired and that's what you know and blah, blah, blah. But some of it is also just like the the death loop that is not having some self-compassion for yourself. Because it's like, mm-hmm. if you start to judge yourself, I always do this. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, why didn't I listen? Like, if you start to be hard on yourself, you're actually not like allowing yourself the space to grow and learn and evolve. And you almost accept these self-limiting beliefs subconsciously, sometimes consciously. But even subconsciously, you've accepted that you're the, you are the impatient person. Um, like that's yes. who you are. And um, you're labeling yourself you and putting it out there and then it almost yeah. becomes the reality. Right. Uh. And I think I said to you like not long ago, but like one of the labels that was really difficult for me to sort of have and own is I'm a good dad. You're a great you dad. Know? You know, just like, because, you you know, I just had a hard day or I had a hard moment or, you know, it's like, you know, we talk about this in, you know, at work or performance management, 
you are not your rating or you're, yes. you're not a low perform performer. You have, you had low performance this time period, right? And how important that is for growth and for um, you becoming the person you want to be. Cause if you label yourself that even in those moments, you're not, you're not, you're, you're not going to help get, help get yourself there. Um, Cause you're just sort of accepting these things about yourself. Even in those small moments when you catch yourself, it's like catching also what you're saying, what story you're yeah. telling yourself about yourself. Um, over and over and over again. Over and over again. And lo and behold, you're not growing. And you're like, why am I not growing? Like, you know, part of it is just like, well, how are you talking to yourself? Yeah. What self-limiting beliefs were you accepting about yourself, about who you are as a parent, who you are as a partner, who you are as a colleague, whatever? Um, Our freaking brains, to, like, man. It's hard to be compassionate with yourself though definitely can i tease you about patience you could do whatever <laughs> yeah you had a story in terms of patience so when we got put on that project when we first met one of the things that was really awesome was we got to travel to was it just london or mexico you didn't go to mexico city you just came to london i didn't go to mexico you went though but i did yes, we went to different places so we went to london together and that was so london fun. was london was the coolest place we went together yeah and you asked me what I was going to do. And I told you I was going to walk the city. You were like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I thought you meant like, I don't know, take a walk. I don't know what I thought. Not what we did. We walked the whole weekend or, or the know. whole city. Like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know you meant like you earnestly like walk everywhere. I walk everywhere and I love it. But I remember that I didn't have my sunglasses. Do you remember this? No, see, I don't know. no, not at all. <laughs> So I didn't have sunglasses and there was a store like their version of like the Marshall, something like that, like some sort of discount store that had brand names in it. And so I said, I'm going to be really quick. And I am a really fast shopper. I don't like to shop. It's not, I don't do that for fun. Right. I go in with a mission, but they were sunglasses. They're going to go on my face. And so I go in and I I start putting on a couple. And at first you're, you're being patient, you know, (laughs) try your best, but within five minutes, I could just see your entire, like your face, your body language is completely changed. You could not hide how annoyed you were. <laughs> you oh God. Like, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to grab these. And I bought them and we paid oh, and you were so like, sorry. Oh. I'm so you sorry. Don't say sorry. But it was so funny because I was like, oh, we're becoming friends. Like he can show me no. that he's annoyed. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I, I, didn't, I don't think I actively told you I was annoyed. No, you're just like, oh, like you're, you do this thing where your like eyes get big and you look, it's like half rolling your eyes. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Maybe it's just a story you told yourself. Maybe I wasn't annoyed at all. Maybe I was Maybe just tired so because you ran, so you, ran, you ran me ragged through the city of London and I was just actually just tired. And that's all you saw. I was wearing Maybe flats that's what it was. too. And it was, I was totally fine. Uh, I love walking. I don't so. remember that story at all. Yeah. I remember. Well, yeah. You know. I'm not the most patient person. It's true. But I'm in not. general, I I'm think really you are. Not. That's why that's the only story that I have. I feel, because you know why I think you're Here's patient? Because patient you about. unpack things really well with people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But that's just because like, I mean, I'm engaged, I guess. But like, I think generally, like, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm patient about people's growth. Mm-hmm. I'd be patient about some things, but day to day, like in the moment, I operate with a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and pace. And I don't like when things are slow and, you yeah. know, and that's and you have hard. kids, you have little kids who have, yeah, that's hard for everyone. <laughs> that's hard for Rachel. And... <laughs> Everyone's like, you know, 
Joaquin and I talked about it and I was like, you know, dad gets a little like, you're so intense in the morning, dad. He said that? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So like, I have not shed this thing that is me, right? Some. What do you do that's around. intense? I'm so curious. Cause I mean, I saw you in the morning when I was, when I visited like you. Like a little bit of a drill sergeant, you know, okay. it's time for this, time for that. It's yeah. time for this, it's time go. for that. It's time for this. Let's go. Joaquin, yeah. let's go. Joaquin, <laughs> let's go. You know? He's um, a free spirit like his mama. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Every day's a new day. No routines. <laughs> you know? Um, keep life interesting. <laughs> keep it interesting. You know, you never know where you're going to get. One day we might wake up at 6.15. Next day, 7.15. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, oh. A little bit. A little bit, okay. yeah. It's How okay. is that for you? Oh, it's a growth really mindset just, opportunity. I really, you know, <laughs> I take each day as it comes, you know, just it's okay. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you for creating this time and this space. And um, and like I said earlier, I'm so one. I'm so grateful for our, um, our friendship and the um, extended family we've become, and with our kids and our partners. And yeah. um, and I'm really proud that you're doing this. And I'm you know, keep wishing you luck and. Thank you. Um, and as you continue to create the world you want. Thank you for listening to the One of a Kind podcast. This show is edited by my brother from the very same mother, Jose Duran. We have more episodes on the way, so please check us out wherever you get your podcasts.